I'm not going to insult your intelligence, but I'm sure you've picked up on the theme in the songs that we've been singing uh, leading up to us looking at God's word. All of us deal with times of trouble, uh, but what gives us comfort is knowing that we have a God that we can call upon no matter the circumstances. And tonight, we're going to be looking at one of the Psalms. I've enjoyed kind of going through the different Psalms, really in no particular order, but just finding comfort in some of the Psalms that we have here, which I feel are so relatable because they deal with everyday circumstances. They touch on things that we, we deal with almost every single day. And so tonight, we'll be looking at Psalm 138. Psalm 138 in a message that I've titled, Worshiping God When We Don't Feel Like Worshiping. Worshiping God When We Don't Feel Like Worshiping. Psalm 138. I was at work when I received the phone call. It was a normal day where I had attended classes in the morning and was working in the afternoon and evening. I was thinking about what I was going to eat for my break when I went on break from work. I was thinking about upcoming finals that I needed to be studying for. I wasn't supposed to have my cell phone with me, but I told myself I was keeping it close in case of emergency. The truth was that I wanted to periodically check the score of the baseball game when no one was watching. And that's when my phone rang. I wasn't expecting a phone call. I wasn't expecting a phone call, and the name the name on the caller ID made the situation for me even more confusing. My dad was calling. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but my dad never called me. I was the one to call him. So immediately, my, man, my mind began to race. I went into a back room at work where I could answer the phone. I didn't do much talking. I just listened. And I listened to my dad tell me that he had been diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver and that there was a chance that he wouldn't survive. In the moments after seeing his name on the caller ID and answering that phone, I thought about all the possible things that he was going to tell me, but what he told me was not anything that I'd considered. I couldn't speak. I didn't know what to say. There were so many things that I wanted to say, but the words just wouldn't come. My mind was trying to process the news that I had just received, at the same time trying to dismiss the idea that all of this could actually be true. I hung up the phone with my dad, and I don't remember if I said anything at all. The rest of that night was a blur, because I, I couldn't think straight. Ruthie and I had been married less than two years, and we were planning on putting down roots in Florida, but after that phone call, I knew we had to come back to New York. A year and a half later, it pleased the Lord to bring my father home. And in that year and a half, the Lord gave us some good quality time together, which I'll cherish forever. I have memories of those days that I'm gonna carry with me as long as I live. And even though we all knew that there was a possibility he may never recover, 
it still hurts so much when we got the phone call that he had died. As much as you can prepare for something like that, you're never fully prepared. The loss of a loved one causes some people to wonder whether the gift of life on this earth is really a gift at all. We deal so much with loss in this life. Is life really a gift? Some people take it so hard that they even struggle to get out of bed and to perform some of the simple tasks and have little conversations that occur every day. When your heart feels like it's been ripped out of your chest, you don't know how to function. And this is why God's word is so special, especially as we look at the Psalms. It is such a comfort to know that we have a heavenly father who we can run to in our times of sorrow. It brings so much relief to know that healing is possible, even when the pain never seems to go away. As David said in Psalm 138 and verse number seven, look at what he says. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. God is letting us know that he is always faithful, that he is always present, and that he is always attentive to our cries. The Psalms, each of them, remind us that God is not only with us in times of sorrow, when the pain of tragedy renders us almost incapable of functioning, but that he is also the one to uphold us and carry us through those difficult seasons. It's incredible to think about that the God who spoke the world into existence cares so deeply about each and every one of you. He knows every ounce of pain that you suffer. He knows every one of our heartaches. He knows when we feel alone. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're going through at all times. And more than just knowing everything, he reminds us that he is not a God that is far off and away from us, but close by to help us in all of our tribulation. He is not a God who just stops in to check up on us every once in a while, but is with us every moment of every day and is, in fact, the reason by which we continue to exist. We're told in Psalm 46, verse 10, or Psalm 46, verse 1, rather, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is always present, and God is always our help when we need him. Even when we think that a matter is too small for God or a matter is not worth his time, if it is important to us, it is important to God. Whenever it is that we come to him in trouble, we know that he hears and we know that he knows what we're going through. God loves each of his children, knows our weaknesses, knows our limitations, and all those things that cause us grief. And in all of it, God promises to be our refuge and our strength. I believe the message of this psalm here, Psalm 138, is that the Lord is to be worshipped at all times, especially in those seasons of grief. This is a psalm of David, and a man after God's own heart, a man who had been through all sorts of difficulties in life and had spiritually matured throughout those difficult throughout the difficult journey that he went through. God used circumstances of his life to help him understand some deep truths about his relationship with God, many of which are spoken of here in this psalm here in 138. David was able to learn the, that the clearest path to God is not the way of struggle and desperation, but the path of worship. 
This psalm shows us all about worshiping God in times of trouble. Worshiping God when worshiping and praising is the last thing that you feel like doing. I want you to notice with me first that God should be worshiped thankfully. God should be worshiped thankfully. Look at verse number one here in Psalm 138. He says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. Who is David talking about here? Anyone know? Who is he talking about? I don't usually ask for you to get involved verbally, but this is one of the occasions. Let me know that you're with me. Who is God talking about here? That was a cue. You're, you're supposed to pick up on that. Stay with me here. Who is God talking about? I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. It's okay to speak in church every once in a while, folks. Who is he talking about? David is speaking about God, right? What are you basing that off of? How do you know? All you read here is, he says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. That's it. What are you basing that off of? The Psalm of David. He could be talking to one of his wives. Could be talking to one of his sons. I could even read the first three verses for you. He says in verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple. Praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength of my soul. Who is he talking about? I've opened up a can of worms now. I've asked you to talk and now I'm going to get it. There is nothing in here that says he's talking about God. Where do you see God's name appear in these three verses? All right. Am I being a little silly here? A little bit. It's, it's obvious, right, by who we know is writing the psalm, the fact that it's in the word of God. We know a little bit about David. We know a little bit about his track record and his history of calling out to God. But in these three verses, there's no mention specifically about God and his name, at least. But we see, if you look at the final five verses, David would mention the Lord six times, specifically mention the Lord six times. But in the first three verses, he just uses personal pronouns to reference God. But I want to read it again, and I want you to pick up on the personal pronouns and how many times he actually references God without saying the name of God or calling him Lord. Notice the first three verses and, and pick up on it yourself. He says, I will praise thee, with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. 
In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. So in these first three verses, how many times does God ref or does David reference God? Did you pick up on it? Were you following along? Ten. Ten times. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I was kind of forceful there. Ten times. Ten times he references God without actually saying Lord or God. Now, when you look at the, the rest of the psalm, verses 4 through 8, he mentions Lord a number of times. We see, O Lord, in verse number 4. We see Lord twice in verse number 5. Lord in verse number 6, and then so on. He me mentions God by name or calls him Lord. And yet in the first three verses, no specific mention by name, but he re references God ten times. And David, I think here, is just so caught up in the majesty and the greatness of God's presence as he's referencing him 10 times. And what's remarkable is that David is demonstrating a level of praise to God that I believe few believers ever get to see. And he's doing it in a time of trouble. We don't even find out that this is a time of trouble until we get almost to the end in verse number seven. And you wouldn't know it based on the rest of the psalm because of how joyful he seems to be and how thankful he is as he's praising God. This is a sign of spiritual maturity. When dealing with trouble, you can still begin our quiet time, time spent with God, rejoicing in him and thanking him for all that God has done and all that he is for you. When trouble hits us, that's when we often struggle to remember everything that God has done for us and is presently doing for us. Many Christians will be so consumed with their circumstances that they don't think clearly in times of trouble. Even when they go to God in prayer, there is no hint of praise and thanksgiving. Rather, they spend their time pouring out their sorrows to God and just asking him for help. Now, is there anything wrong with asking God for help? Is there anything wrong with pouring out your sorrows to God? And as the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting your cares upon him. Is there anything wrong with that? No, not at all. There's nothing wrong with crying out to God. There's nothing wrong with going to God and asking him for help. But we shortchange ourselves for, from getting blessed when we fail to first give God praise and thanksgiving that he really deserves. The more we're focusing on our problems, the more we're gonna feel like we're almost in a prison of misery. The key to healing and the key to regaining strength is to be thankful and to demonstrate a heart of gratitude to God for who he is in your life. Another familiar Psalm, you don't have to turn there, but Psalm 95 begins with these words. It says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Did you catch what it says there? It says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. When? All the time. Even in times of trouble, seal? When things are going great? Right? Say, pastor, all the time is all the time. Quit asking me. Right? All the time. I 
All the time is all the time. All the time, right? There is no time that we should not be coming before his presence with thanksgiving. When life is going good, when everyone is healthy, when the finances are looking good, when all of your plans have been figured out, but also when life is going tough, when everyone is sick, when you're struggling to pay the bills, when all the plans that you've made are all falling apart, when you're unhappy all the time, we should be coming before God's presence, as Psalm 95 verse 2 says, with thanksgiving. Coming before God's presence with thanksgiving should never be limited to specific occasions or to when favorable circumstances are what you're dealing with. It should be the standard we hold ourselves to all the time. Whenever you come before God's presence, be thankful. Be thankful. Some of us have gotten used to coming before God's presence with a dump truck of problems. And that's what we throw on him first before we ever express an attitude of gratitude or thankfulness, if we ever do. We essentially ambush God with all of our problems without showing just even a hint of thankfulness. We'll go to God in prayer. We'll even quote 1 Peter 5, 7, which again says, casting all our care upon him, for he careth for you. Lord, this is why I'm here. You told me to do this, so I'm just doing what you asked. Here it is. Here are all my problems. Here are all my cares which you've told me to cast upon you. I am so glad to get this off my chest, to get this burden off my shoulders. Now you can deal with it. We do this and don't think about first coming before him with thanksgiving. By all means, cast all of your cares upon him. God doesn't want you going through life burdened, overwhelmed, discouraged. But as you come before his presence, to cast all of your cares upon him, as many as they may be, come before him with thanksgiving. Listen to how this is described in another familiar psalm, Psalm 100. In verse number four, the Bible says, Enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. thanksgiving. And, thank you, Seal. You weren't doing any talking before, and now I can't get you to stop. <laughs> Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. The picture we see there is believers entering into God's courtyard, and we're to enter through the gate. If the courtyard is where we cast all of our cares upon God, the gate is the way that we must pass through to get to that court. Some of us have been casting all of our cares and dumping all of our troubles at the gate without ever entering into God's court. We haven't bothered coming into God's presence because we've been too preoccupied with our situation. We've been standing at the front gate complaining, pouring out all of our problems, telling God why this is wrong and this needs to be fixed and this person's sick and when are these, gonna, when are these issues going to be resolved? Instead of entering into the gate into the court as God has instructed us to do. We're supposed to have a thankful heart even in times of trouble. Now, if you think that one is hard, the next way God is to be worshipped is with our whole heart. Worship God with our whole heart. Again, verse number one, he says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. David certainly had his ups and downs. But the one constant we see about him is that he approached God with his whole heart. He offered himself 
completely over to God. And notice how he describes his worship of God in the first two verses. Again, notice what he says. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. As he's praising God, his heart is coming up with new ways to shower God with praise. He could have just ended by saying, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Done. But now he goes on to say, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to praise you with my whole heart, and this is what it's going to look like. For David, praising God was not limited to his location. And it wasn't limited to how he was feeling at that particular moment. It wasn't limited to his circumstances. It wasn't limited to anyone else that was around him. He loved God so much that he couldn't help but pour forth praise to God from his entire being. What is it in our lives that drives us and motivates us in such a way like David was? There are some things that we are shy to admit under certain circumstances because of what people might think and maybe how they might react. But there are other things that we are, are so passionate about, we don't care what others might think or say about us if they did find out. What is it that we're passionate about? What would you be willing to give your all for? Do you know what's amazing about that question? If we ask that same question to God, God, what would you be willing to give your all for? His answer would be us. Every one of us. God has given his all to us. Not part of himself, not an hour a week, not five days a week his all to us. And he's done this in giving us his only begotten son. God loves us in a way that we cannot begin to imagine. He is not just aware of us, familiar with us. He loves us each more than what could ever be described in words. And he has shown us this love through the gift of his son. And listen to what we read in 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 and 10. 1 John 4 Verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loves us with his whole heart. And he allows us to enter into his presence, but we're too concerned about what others might think or what others might say about us if they found out that we're a believer. As long as we're allowing the thoughts of others to dictate our concerns, we're not worshiping God with our whole heart. So many of us are more concerned with maintaining a certain public image than we are worshiping God wholeheartedly. I don't know if you've found this to be true, but I find it easier to approach God with my whole heart 
when life is going absolutely crazy. In other words, I get to the point where I feel, what do I have to lose? Right? The world seems like it's crumbling from beneath my feet. People already think I'm crazy. What do I have to lose? Things can't get any worse at this point. What would it matter if people see me falling to my knees as I cry out to God? Many of us reach that point where public perception, though important in our minds for a while, couldn't be less of a concern. And we're able to finally give our whole heart over to God in worship. What is interesting is that as much as you would think it'd be easier to give yourself wholeheartedly to God when life is going good and when everything is just perfect, it doesn't seem to go that way, does it? When life is going smooth, when you're healthy, when the finances look good, when all your relationships are perfectly, uh, perfectly content, we tend to relax. We tend to get comfortable as if we have everything under control. And there's no reason for us to have to give our whole heart over to God. Now, I found that in those times, trouble is usually right around the corner. My legs begin to, to wobble a little bit, sensing that I'm going to be dropping to my knees sometime soon in prayer because something is around the corner that I may not see yet, but I know it's coming. The storms are often what get our attention. And when we feel backed into a corner, we're far more likely to give ourselves completely over to God or to give our whole heart over to him than when life is going good. Worship God with your whole heart. And third, we should worship God courageously. Worship God courageously. Look again at verse number one. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. A lot of us feel cultural pressure when it comes to living out our Christianity. If we're around people that we know are unsaved, we might remain silent when they say something negative about God or even use God's name in vain. We might even tell ourselves that we're just going to pick our battles and this one really isn't a battle that's worth fighting. It used to be that we were less ashamed of God and letting people know that we were saved. There seems to be this sense of shame, even praying in public, such as praying over a meal when you're at a restaurant. And we don't eat out all that often, but I can't remember the last time we were at a restaurant and looked out around the dining room area and noticed another family praying over their meal. And David is taking a bold stand here for God as he's not allowing statues and monuments of false gods to intimidate him from praying and praising the one true God. He doesn't care what others might think or say of him. As for him and his house, they're going to serve the Lord. And let me encourage you to be an encouragement to others because we can all use a little more of this in the world that we live in. When you see people in a restaurant, if you're out at a restaurant and you see a family that is seated around a table and they gather together and they hold hands, maybe they don't hold hands, but you see them praying over their meal, go and encourage that family. 
We live in a world that is surrounded by everything that is anti-God, where living like a Christian outside of your own home is criticized, and in some countries, even leads to persecution. So worship God courageously, and when you get the opportunity to do so, encourage others who are doing the same. At point number four, we should worship God intelligently. Worship God intelligently. Look at verses two and three as we see the specific way that David is praising God with his whole heart. He says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. Sometimes we don't know what to say or even where to begin. And I want you to notice the different ways how David praises God. There's several things that he mentions here. He praises him first, he says, for loving kindness and for truth. Now, these two qualities are linked together for a reason. These are our two wonderful qualities, and they're seldom uh, represented in the same person. It's rare to see one person who is both demonstrating loving kindness as well as standing for the truth. Many are full of loving kindness, but they exercise it too often without accountability and almost become a doormat where everyone just walks right over them. Everyone takes advantage of them. And on the opposite side of it, you have many who are such sticklers for the truth that often end up coming off so incredibly self-righteous like a modern-day Pharisee who will see truth more as a weapon to hurt others than as something to actually stand on. But God is the perfect balance of both loving kindness and truth. When we come before him in a time of trouble, we know that he hears the very deepest cries of our hearts, and he will deal with us in loving kindness as well as in truth. He will be merciful, and his word will be fulfilled. But David also praised him for his magnified word. He says at the end of verse number two, he says, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. How many of you understand everything there is to know in God's word? Did you hear me? Seal? How many of you understand everything there is to know in God's word? Dave? There could have been like four Daves that should have answered me. (laughs) No one, right? None of us understand everything there is to know in God's word. How many of you believe that every word of God in the Bible is true? Can you be sure? Just so you understand, I asked... How many of you understand everything there is to know about God and his word? And not a single one of you raised your hand saying, you know everything there is to know about God and his word. And then I asked a second question. How many of you believe that every word in God's word is true? And every single one of you raised your hand. So therefore, you all are accepting ideas and truths that you cannot completely understand. Right? The reason we do is because the word of God carries an authority that matches the very name of God, which means that we can fully place our trust in the integrity of God and his word. 
This is what he's saying. He's saying, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. He praises him for his magnified word, but he also praises him for his provision. Look at verse three again. He says, in the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. What an encouragement this verse is. God doesn't delay when we cry out to him. We may think that God delays because we have our own timetable as to when we think things need to get done and prayers need to be answered, but he hears us the moment we cry out to him. It's not as if we are sending our prayer request to him through a carrier pigeon that takes weeks to deliver all the way up to heaven. That's not the way it works. He hears us the moment we cry out to him. And let me tell you something, he already knows the need before you even cry out to him. But God is always with us in our troubles and whenever he acts and whatever he does, he will always strengthen us for battle. David was always strengthened by God when he cried out to him. And that is why he called out to God so often. Again, he says, in the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. He cried out to God as often as he could because he found God to be true to his word and to be the strength that he needed in his soul. Now, before I say this, let me be clear. I'm not looking for God to add any more trouble to my life. However, I can say, and maybe you will agree with me on this, that in some of the most trying days, God has spoken to me the clearest. I can look back and while I'm glad to have come through a lot of these troubles, I'm thankful for how the Lord strengthened me in the midst of those troubles. I can see how the Lord used those times in my life to prepare me and better equip me for what he had for me in the future. I'm certain you probably would all say the same, that you're not pleased in the moment that you're faced with a trial or in the midst of a trouble, but having gone through them and looking back upon what it is that God was doing at, your, at that time in your life, you're thankful for having gone through it. When we get to verse number four here in this psalm, you're going to notice a clear shift. Now, we already mentioned that as far as referencing God's name or referring to him as Lord, we don't see that in the first three verses. You see God referred to ten times, but we don't actually see him named until we get to verse number four, and there's a clear shift. But <clears throat> there's also a clear shift in another area because what we see is that God actually fills David with a renewed faith and a renewed comfort, and you notice it come out in verse number four. All of a sudden, it's as if David forgets about his problems and he looks to the future and he says that the world will one day join in a collective time of praise to God. Notice what it says in verses four and five. He says, all the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. He says, all the kings of the earth shall praise God. There is coming a day when the prophecy of Philippians 2, 10 and 11 will come true, which says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Everyone has the opportunity to praise God now while they have life in them, or they're going to be forced to praise him later. Either way, all of creation shall bow before him at some point. And then when we look at verse number six, we see that God acknowledges everyone. And notice this, it says, though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Now this is also at least a comfort to most of us. What a comfort it is to know that the Lord has his eye on the lowly. Those who think of themselves as insignificant, the Lord still hears their prayers and the Lord still protects them from evil. Even though they may think little of themselves, they reverence him, they respect him, and God is looking upon them with grace. They may have a low view of themselves, but God highly values them. Those that are proud on the other end of it, God doesn't have to come near to them to see their vanity. His glance from afar reveals to them their emptiness and their offensiveness to God. The idea is that God doesn't have to fellowship with them. He knows their hearts and essentially has no respect for them. Again, though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. And point number five, we should worship God in times of uncertainty. We should worship God in times of uncertainty. Look at verse number seven. He says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. Every one of us have troubles. But David talks here about being in the midst of trouble, which suggests that he is uncertain as to how things are going to be resolved. The type of situation that David describes here is one in which he's feeling trapped. He's stuck. He's just not knowing what's gonna, where he's going to go. He doesn't see the possibility of an, an immediate resolution. And this is the type of problem that you know isn't going to go away tomorrow. It's not going to go away even the day after tomorrow or maybe even not in next week. Even in uncertainty, when David still couldn't see a resolution, he was comforted because he had something that many people don't. Hope. For every believer, no matter what you're dealing with, there is always hope. You may not be able to see the hand of God. You may not even feel God's presence. But God is always with you. If anyone learned this truth, it was David. Think of all that David went through in his life and how God proved himself faithful to him time and time again, David spent years as a fugitive, running from Saul, hiding and camping out in caves, just trying to do anything he could to stay alive. Things didn't even slow down when David became king. He still faced trials on, on every side. The nation of Israel was almost at war with every nation in sight. When there were no political and military troubles, David dealt with family drama and family trouble. In every way, David walked in the midst of troubles. Every believer needs to know that when we find ourselves walking in the midst of trouble, God is still walking right there with us. When everyone else may abandon us, God never forsakes us. He promises to protect his children. And the final comfort that David mentions here is found in verse number eight. And notice what it says. He says, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. 
As believers, God is in the process of perfecting every single one of us. He is strengthening us. He is making us complete. God allows us to go through the troubles really as a means of perfecting us, of purging us, ultimately strengthening us. Even when we begin to doubt and even when we question whether God is still at work, he is still working on us. The truth is, every one of us still has a lot to learn. And we learn the best, whether you like to hear this or not, in the midst of troubles. You learn the best when life is going rough. Many of the truths that God teaches us get etched in our minds when we're forced into a complete and utter dependence upon God. When we're stretched to our limits and forced to call upon God in desperation because we've exhausted every effort on our own. God uses those moments to teach us the most valuable lessons that will often stick with us forever. It's true that we might come out of those times with bruises. We may have scars. There may be much pain that is going to last for some time. God still reassures us that by his hand, we have made it through. Now, let me encourage you with words from Philippians 1 verse 6. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what you still may be going through and what may be around the corner for you, God is working in you. And listen to what it says in Philippians 1 verse 6. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Is God still working on you in the midst of your troubles? Yes, he is. Absolutely. In fact, he's doing some of his best work on you in the midst of the troubles. Is it going to be painful at times? Absolutely. That's why it's called trouble. Will it be worth it? More than you can imagine. And listen to what we read in Job 23, verse 10. Job said, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Troubles are God's way of removing the dross. Dross is the imperfection that comes from the precious metals that are burned and it is, rises usually to the top and they'll scrape it all away to refine the precious metals. God removes that. He scrapes away the imperfection and he's preparing us for future glory and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes that purging and the pruning process can be very painful, but God is doing all of that to strengthen us. There's a whole new perspective we have when we realize that what God is doing in the midst of trouble. In fact, once more, look at verse number eight. He says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. David realized all the good that God was doing in his life in the midst of trouble, and he essentially says there at the end of that verse, God, keep up the good work. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. He's saying, Lord, it hurts. I'm in the midst of trouble. It's painful. I'm getting beaten up here. But I see what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Again, he's not asking for God to just pile on the problems. But he's looking at all the problems and all the troubles of his life in a whole new light and recognizing just how much God is doing in him through all of it. 
He's able to count his many blessings rather than despair in all of his troubles. Most of us do everything and anything we can to avoid trouble, and for good reason. But God has shown David that troubles are actually essential for the spiritual maturity of believers. So often we realize our limitations the hard way. We stumble and fall flat on our face even when we try to do some of the most simple things. It is in those moments that God shows himself strong. God picks us up. God gives us the strength. He gives us the confidence to do what we couldn't do on our own. This is God's promise to us. God may allow us to fall. He may allow us to feel pain from time to time, but God will never allow us to be defeated. The craziness of life may lead us to take our focus off of God, but that doesn't mean that God has gone anywhere. Whatever troubles you may be dealing with today, remind yourself that God is right there in the midst of it with you. It may not be long before the loving arms of your heavenly father reach down and and scoop you up and put you back on your feet. But know that you're always his child and take joy in knowing that your loving heavenly father is with you every step of the way. And let us learn to pray like David said, forsake not the works of thine own hands. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Lord, we come before you thankful, Lord, for the trials that we go through and the troubles that we face. Lord, we may all be individually dealing with something different today. Some of us may find ourselves in the midst of trouble. And if that be the case, Lord, help us to see your hand and your presence there with us though it may be uncertain as to how things might get resolved. Lord, I pray that we would take comfort in knowing that we have a loving Heavenly Father who is there with us at all times. Lord, you have not forsaken us and you never will. In fact, you are the one who strengthens us to keep going when the strength that we have fails. Thank you for loving us in a way in which we can't even begin to describe in words. Thank you for being our God. Lord, may we make it a point, rather than looking at all the problems, to start counting the blessings that we have from you, naming them one by one, and offering the praise and worship to you that you truly deserve, coming before your presence with thanksgiving before we cast all of our cares upon you. We love you, Lord, and we know we're going to fail from time to time, but Lord, may we always return to you as David did and find comfort and a place of refuge in your arms. In Christ's name we pray, amen.